This is Seal Talks, episode 7. Hello, Starchitect. Welcome to another episode of Seal Talks. I'm your host, Egbenyon Leonard, and on today's episode, we'll be looking at strategic thinking for business growth for architects. Just like a game of chess, growth in your business can be planned, can be strategized, and it can be projected and then executed. What strategic thinking does basically is to clear your mind as an architect and allow you to focus on creating systems that are operational and effective. That sometimes means not, as you say, just delivering projects because most times we focus so much on the role of the architect and neglect that we're actually business owners and we run a, you know, run a business as, as such. And what this episode is going to be doing is basically breaking down and moving your mindset as an architect from opportunistic thinking to strategic thinking that is finding ways to work better and smarter you know not necessarily harder in this case and when you look at opportunistic um, thinking and strategic thinking um, i call it opportunistic because of the way in which we actually operate operate in the sense that um, the difference um, you know between the two of them that is opportunistic and then strategic thinking is that opportunistic thinking is you are always like waiting for you know you are reacting to, to what happens you are waiting for something to happen then you react to it while strategic thinking on its own is to create what actually happens you go out there and you create and disrupt system create systems that you know go out and fetch they let me use this a very classic example um, you are waiting for client a to decide something or you are waiting for a phone call or even referral yes these are the normal ways we get projects right but there are systems that actually can operate without you having to repeat it manually every single time and that is what we are focusing on today called strategic thinking and when you are being strategic about your processes or your systems you achieve a lot more i'll get into that shortly let's quickly look at some misconceptions misconceptions that is responsible for how we have become so opportunistic in our thoughts as architects and designers and the first thing that there are two basic ones that i have identified and i've spoken to people over time you know react related with uh, persons with creatives and all and there are two things i have have have, um, identified and those two things has of course they have some ripple effect which i will also shed some light in well, the first one that I have identified as a misconception is that we have developed so much time in architecture and we feel that if you, you know, of course, as an architect, raise your fees, the client will run away. And that, of course, if we charge more, we risk losing the particular project or upsetting our clients. Now, that is the first misconception that has driven us to act as if we do not actually value our work. Now, now, let's look at it this way. Being afraid of the figure to charge the client 
does that not boil down to the fact that we do not um, value what we create? Do you follow? If you value what you have as an architect, the drawings you produce, the concepts that goes in, the thought forms, you know, thought processes that go into your design, you know, the, the joy or the, the value you derive from actually putting thoughts to, from thin air, creating things that did not exist. Like um, somebody said, you are co-creating with the maker of the world because he has given you the willing power to will things that are not in existence, you know? And if you place value to that, shouldn't you actually charge what you're worth? Even though that is a different story for another day. I believe strongly that doing work and unknowing value is one of the things that is responsible for why we charge the way we charge. And then, of course, we all know that money is the fuel of any business. And if there isn't money to keep the firm running, the firm closes or are not able to recruit the best skills to execute, you know, at, at that optimal level or train staff to get to that level where they are delivering top-notch products. Now, that is the first misconception and the ripple effect of it. The second one is that even when firms, we all know that just like everything in life has, you know, there's a, a rising trough as, a, as somebody who did not have money and you're working hard to create um, systems and processes, there'll come a time where you are operating optimally, even if and when you get there, or you're creating, you are operating at optimal level, there's definitely going to be a stage where you go have a play to or you descend. It is one of those things, ups and downs is what is called in life. And in the processes where firms have their ups, time and time and time again found out that firms do not have the hindsight of keeping reserve during the good times. So they have cases of their, you know, when issues hit hard, they start cutting back and then owing salaries. Of course, during the time, the downtime, that's what most firms do. For example, I'll take a typical example of um, the lockdown period of last year, 2020. Most firms had to cut down on staff. They let them go. Some even have to pay them salaries. They just told them, go home whenever we are done. Whenever this whole thing clears up, we'll call you. And imagine if a firm could afford to pay its staff for, say, 12 months without taking in a new job. Your operational, your strategy is such that you have planned ahead of time for two years. If we don't get new jobs, we keep researching new ways you are not worried about how does the next paycheck for the month will come because you have planned it. And at the time that you know they, they, they are able to recover, for example, the COVID is over and some friends are back to work and all of that. By the time you are planning to recover, you find out that this keeps struggling with the excesses of when they were owing salary. And the typical example was the decision I worked at a time back in Lagos, as at the time they were building amazing structures, beautiful structures in Lagos. That was when they had the good time. But of course, I, I think the management, I don't know why, I wasn't there at the time, but for some reason, as at the time I joined the firm, they were just at the tail end of, you know, getting into a trough and they were owing salaries and all of that. It was so terrible. So though that is the second reason that I have identified that is responsible for, you know, us now having to fall back to a 
opportunistic thinking and say, okay, I've done this thing at some point, the, I will get referral for them. With that being said, we'll look at what benefits opportunistic thinking has or better still pitch opportunistic thinking against strategic thinking. What opportunity thinking is, basically, is you are waiting for the phone to ring, you are waiting on what the client will decide to do next before, you know, you actually, your plans are hinged on the client does this, I will do this, or the firm will do this, the client swings left, the firm follows. That is opportunity thinking. And of course, most of your clients comes probably in the same circle because the you are getting them through referrals and they are in the same circle of friends or people who know themselves. So one thing affects you talk to maybe something happens with one client. Yeah, sometimes it has a ripple effect on the other set of clients that you have. And because you are always in the circle, they tell themselves, oh, this is how much X, Y, and Z charged me. And then your relationship with A translates to B, C, D, E. And because of that, you are afraid to change your, your fees. You are afraid to charge. And inevitably, if you continue like that, there is high tendency that your firm will not grow. And then you may end up being frustrated and you start causing architecture. Architecture is not your problem. <laughs> it is you who decided to manage architecture that way. People still complain from the people have been complaining since the beginning of architecture in Nigeria. And they will still complain even in 2000. The truth is, how are you able to strategically, you know, program yourself and create systems that work? Now, on the other flip side of the strategy thinking, what it does is you, because your mind is clear, you are focusing on, uh, as we go further, I will explain how you can do that. That is what we've practiced and that's what we keep practicing. Now, because you have identified how to go about building systems, you would have identified clients and projects that are worth it and how to go about getting them you know to see you or to be in their faces or to um, reach out to them some way or the other and you plan and implement long-term strategies this there's a long term there's a medium term every action is more like habit as an architect or as a firm everything you do forms your habit how you deliver your projects what are the clients talking about you how do they relate with your brand how do they see your business what what emotions do they um, have when they think about your work now all of that are the actions you take to form your medium long-term and short-term goals also because you are more confident and you value your work if that is if you are strategically um, deliberate about your actions and habits of your firm because you are confident there's tendency for you to want to raise your fees and charge better and when you do that you will definitely make more money and since that keeps the, the foil or keeps the lights in your office running, your staff will be happier, they will learn more, you, they will be able to create better architecture. And there are always clients, you know, constantly and we have spent so much years studying and focusing on architecture that, you know, becoming an architect takes years and all of that of training, focusing on how to be the best in what you do. 
also forgetting that it is a business that you run and like i always say a product that is not out there is as good as dead your consumers your audience are reaching out to them if a crappy product let's just use an example a crappy product that has a good audience at the end of the day will probably still do better than one that didn't come out of the factory at all if you agree with me and what this means is that there are always clients willing to pay what you are worth. That's the value you place on yourself. One of the persons I, I admire most, Anthony Robbins, once said that the value a person places on himself is what people will pay. The truth is, not everybody is your target market. Yes, even in architecture. And I, the way I personally consider architecture is that architecture or the products of architecture are businesses. And if we focus on creating that product alone, we miss out on the relevant part of selling it. But if you are strategic about your thinking and you are able to devise ways that these functions are all encompassing from the stages of creating to the stages of distribution, yes, it is a product so every market force applied to it. And because you value it, people will pay. And people will pay if you are able to connect to this tier of clients that actually will pay for it. Also, uh, I'll take out the benefits of strategic thinking after I have explained what are steps to be strategic in your business. And these are basically three steps. Before I go into this, we have been able to look at the misconception, what is strategic thinking as opposed to opportunistic thinking. Now, the three strategies are simple and straightforward. The first one is working in the business. Now, they are quite similar in nomenclature, so I'll try and, you know, I'll try and break them down as, as best as I can. The first one is working in the business. And working in the business involves delivering your products and services based on your existing processes. You know, assuming you have a client who comes to you and has given you a brief, all of the processes it takes for you to design and create that um, interface for the client is working in the business. Now, the next phase actually is working on the business. You know, in the business, as an architect or maybe you're a manager of a firm or what have you, or a designer who is calling the shots. There are times where your hands may not be directly involved in working in the business because you have people who take care of that processes for you. Once the work comes in, you do drafts and all of that. Yes, you can interface with the client and all, but the actual drawing, detailing and all of it is not done by your own hands. And that is where, again, we have another issue because most firms today in Africa uh, operate most because, I mean, that's the majority, but there are exceptions to every rule. Most of the firms operate as a single man business. And because of that, the person is the manager, he's the secretary, he's everything. He wants to do the 3Ds, he wants to do the design, and one you cannot be effective that way. That is why collaboration, even if you do not have the enough resources to pay staff that do the job, you should be open to ideas and collaboration that such that when the project comes, you are not entirely buckled down with working in the business. Now, the next stage is working on the business. And me, this means finding new ways to improve on the current processes in order to create better levels of performance. Now, what this means is this. Let me just let me find a very typical example that we have been able to do to differentiate working in the business and working on the business. 
in the render like a pro course that we also have there came a time where we were teaching v-ray now teaching it is working in the business right but after a while we figured out that if we continue to teach V-Ray, the amount of time it took our students to actually learn V-Ray physically was more. So we had to fine-tune our processes such that we switched to Corona even in the studio. And switching to Corona made it a bit easier because in my opinion, it was more automatic and our teaching style had to change as well. Now, people in our masterclass will relate because it took them shorter than the newer students in short, we started getting calls from the older students complaining that ah, we didn't get this good when we were doing this. And I had to explain to them that because we had fine-tuned our processes, now every time we get feedback from students, we work on them. Now that is we work on the, you know, we are working on the business, fine-tuning our processes such that we are able to create, you know, better students you know, better students who do beautiful activities within a very short period of time, which we allocated to others. But it is more effective because we have fine-tuned it and we, have, we keep fine-tuning based on the feedback that we have gotten. So that is the difference. There's this part of this movie, Black Panther, exactly, where one of the actresses mentioned something very profound that i took away from that movie and he said that because something works doesn't mean it cannot be better now because your processes work you're able to draft you're able to deliver projects does not mean you cannot fine-tune it fine-tuning it is working on the business and now the third part of it is working to transform the business basically when you improve that is working on the business now up when you improve on your processes, your current trends, it will create opportunity to firm owners on ways of transitioning from the business or strengthening the core functions. For example, if you have two staff, by the time you have worked on the business and you are creating um, more effective ways to be efficient, optimal performance, you will have more projects to come in because when more projects come in, you have to look for ways to recruit more staff. You have to look for ways to train your staff such that they keep delivering top-notch services every single time. And that in itself will transform your business over time. And this is like habit. There's no way that you constantly improve a process. You improve strategically deliberately and your your processes keep getting better that you will not make money it's not possible i have not seen anybody who has dedicated time to developing systems and processes that has um, ever complained of lack of projects i haven't seen it even till today because of that system we have um, created it leads us to yet another problem in the firm we have to now still find someone or people or group of persons as we are training to fill in the gaps of the ever um, as we expand our team. You have to now always look for the right, you know, the right sources, the right persons to fill in the gap so that your processes are seamless. Now, if you if you understand me correctly, as you proceed to work on the business and then working on transforming the business, you create other hiccups. You keep hitting um, bottlenecks so that when you find a way around them, it opens up other possibilities for you and then you keep getting better. And the amazing benefits of these steps that I've just um, itemized 
strategic thinking is that the first thing is you get better results in the same amount of time because something is good does not mean it cannot be better right and if you are able to you know manage your processes and develop systems that works you will have peace of mind you'll be able to take in projects and go to sleep because you have processes in place you have persons in place whatever you want to call it and because you develop systems that are not dependent on you you as the manager will be able to free up more time to still be more strategic and you know deliberate you free up more time to either think you can spend the whole day by the lake just coming up with ideas with pen in hand paper in hand thinking of things that will make your system good thinking of new branches that you can take your architectural practice to thinking of ways and services that you can not necessarily delivering Mr. A's work, Mr. B's work, but actually coming out of the box and developing new avenue for resources. And when you have done that, you build a life outside of architecture that is linked with architecture. And at the same time, you'll be able to have hobbies. You have a happier and better life. And revenue will never be your problem. Oh. Time flew by. <laughs> so we've come to the end of this particular discussion. I know that we try to put a lot of things in the shortest possible time so that of course it doesn't get boring. But please, if these things that I am saying, if they make sense to you, if they have been able to help you, please drop your comments, your thoughts about this particular topic in the comment section. Let me hear from you. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you are able to better your systems, how you are able to practice as an architect or a designer or a creative generally and build systems, how examples of how you change things strategically rather than waiting for your phone to ring, how you have come out of your shell to get better projects and all of that. Please share your ideas. If this is your first time on this on this podcast, welcome to Seal Talks. Please subscribe, share and let me hear from you let me know what you guys think and once again it's been a beautiful time here until the next episode i remain your host Leonard, and this is Sito.